Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What up? It's the Crossover Pod Friday edition. I'm Howard Beck, senior writer for Sports Illustrated. It's been a glorious week in the association. The conference finals are underway. I'm out in San Francisco, one of my favorite places on earth, covering Warriors Mavericks. What could be better? Oh, and we had the draft lottery. My favorite event on the NBA calendar, my favorite contrivance on the NBA calendar, all those prolonged moments of kind of fake suspense on the broadcast. I mean, it's real suspense, right? The people in the dais don't know, we don't know, but of course, the whole lottery's already happened behind the scenes. I don't know. The whole thing is just, uh, it's, it's, it's great TV. It's fun. I love the lottery. My co-host, Chris Mannix, was in the actual lottery draw room where the ping pong balls uh, were in the hopper and, and all the numbers uh, unfurling. Um, you can read his behind-the-scenes account at SI.com of how it actually happened. And then our colleague, Jeremy Wu, our resident draft expert, is my guest on the pod today. He was in Chicago as well for the lottery and is covering the Combine this week. Jeremy's got a new mock draft up at SI.com. He's been scouting these guys all season and has great insight into the top prospects, as he always does. So go check out his piece, which we will discuss pieces of on the pod today. Uh, The Magic are the big winners. They get the number one pick. What direction should they be going? Is it Jabari Smith, Chet Holmgren, Paolo Bancaro? What are the Thunder going to do? At number two, what are the Thunder going to do, period? I, I, like, How many years are they going to be in their own version of the process? And how patient is Shea Gil- Gildas-Alexander going to be? Uh, are they going to get immediate help at number two? Will they trade it? Will Presti cash it out for like 17 more draft picks? We'll see. Uh, we discuss all of that on the pod today. And also the, some intrigue down further. The Blazers at seventh. What are they going to do to get Dame Lillard the help he needs 
right now? Are they actually rebuilding? Is he actually in for that rebuild? Um, just some quandaries for them. Quandaries, I think, for the Kings, too. Uh Lots of great draft chatter and insights with Jeremy on all of that. Before we get to it, a quick reminder, please rate, review, subscribe to The Crossover wherever you get your podcasts, and hit me with all your feedback on Twitter, at Howard Beck. Okay, all the great draft intel coming up next with Jeremy Wu, so stick around. This is The Crossover, an NBA show hosted by Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix and Howard Back. It's a whole new level for you and me, Chris, this relationship. Like and subscribe for the best weekly NBA content these two are capable of. What does that mean? Could be the best duo ever. I don't see how you can beat that. Here they are, Chris Mannix and Howard Back. Now very pleased to be joined by my colleague and SI's resident draft guru, Jeremy Wu from Chicago. Jeremy, how are you, sir? What's up, man? I'm good. You know, this is this week there's always like something going on. Um, but I'm fortunate that I live a walking distance from the combine where they do it. So it, it makes my life a lot easier rather than having to when I used to have to fly here and then I'd stay with my I grew up here, so I'd stay at my family's place and I'd be Ubering back and forth. I don't have to do any of that this year. Very nice, very nice of the NBA, very courteous of them to move the uh, entire lottery apparatus and the combine within walking distance of you. That's uh, it's very courteous of the NBA. Yeah, it was for, for my request, actually. <laughs> um, so we're recording this on Thursday, so things are going to wrap up by maybe by the time people listen to the pod. But the lottery, the draft order is set. You were there. Our own Chris Mannix was in the room where it happened, uh, watching the lottery balls do their thing. You were on the outside covering the uh, the public version of it. Um, and it's already been kind of an interesting week. What have you... What did you pick up, whether at the lottery itself or in the combine stuff itself uh, so far this week? Any interesting buzz around the gym with players or teams? Anything you're particularly keeping an eye on as this winds down? Yeah, um, well, I'll say, like, I think the lottery itself, everyone kind of agrees, was like a fairly um, tame result by, like, recent standards, uh, you know, with the changing of the odds to make it, you know, as you know, more even and fair for, you know, bad teams to have a real chance to move up. Um, you know, only Sacramento moved up. Uh, Detroit went down to five. Sacramento was up at three. Obviously, Orlando won and OKC won up at two. And Houston at three. So, like, most of the teams that we expected and we're hoping to have early picks wound up with those. Um, so, uh, you know, that, that was not as chaotic as it could have been. Um, I think a lot of people are definitely wondering, like, what Oklahoma City is going to do at two. Uh, obviously I don't think it's like done, done, but uh, the general assumption I am hearing, most people agree. They think Orlando will take Jabari Smith, who is our top prospect. Um, you know, I, that's what I would do if I were them. So it doesn't shock me that that's what people think, but you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Um, but you know, a lot of chat about what OKC will do, uh, you know, whether or not, you know, if Chad Holmgren is there, if he will be their guy or if they'll, uh, take Bancaro, Paolo Bancaro. I think those are the two guys. But, you know, Oklahoma City, no one really knows what they're ever thinking. So it's all, we're all guessing. Uh, <laughs> and, and I would say, I think the other interesting thing um, is just, you know, Shaden Sharp, uh, who, you know, was, was, you know, at Kentucky this year, but did not play, uh, but is looking like a top five or six pick. Uh, you know, he had his pro day on Monday, which, you know, these pro days are, I think most people around the NBA would agree, like kind of a waste of time, but, uh, you know, he did a 
he did some impressive stuff in the workout where you can just kind of see, and I, I've seen him play before, um, but he's such a good athlete and a good shooter and he can create space off the dribble. Uh, so I think he's kind of creating some buzz as to, you know, how high can he go, uh, particularly having not played, you know, like there's one uh, segment of people who's like, yeah, I wouldn't do it anyway. I'm afraid, you know, that uh, <laughs> it's not going to be what you think. Uh, he doesn't have any college film, right? But then also people, I've heard the argument, just it's, it's too much upside at a certain point. You know, in a type of draft like this where it's, you know, I, I would say like the stratification of the talent is not as pronounced maybe as some years. Um, you know, you could argue for him like someone, well, would OKC take him at two? And it's like, probably not. But again, these are the type of things that everyone's wondering, those type of yeah. uh, speculative things. So, you know, he's, he's probably the name that I'm most curious to kind of see how this pre-draft shakes out. Uh, before we dive into some of the prospects and the draft order as it sits now, who's likely to go where, um, and uh, Jeremy has a mock draft, of course, the, the latest mock draft up uh, post-lottery results on SI.com, so people should go check that out for all of this. But before we get into that, I'm curious, Like, did you was there any buzz about the lottery odds themselves and the new system? You alluded to this, but you know they changed the lottery odds starting in the 2019 draft. That was the year the Pelicans jump up from seventh to one to get Zion. That year, the Suns, Cavaliers, and Knicks had the uh, the best the best shared odds. They all had fourteen percent chance of getting number one pick. That was the first year of the flatter lottery odds, and all three of them ended up falling. And there was this thought that, oh, this is working exactly as it's supposed to. If this is an anti-tanking measure and you could be seventh and jump up to one, and if you're uh, the, the first, second, or third worst and you fall back, that's disincentive to lose intentionally. But what we had this year in year four of the new lottery odds, um, Orlando won the, the number one pick with the second worst record. The Thunder got the, the number two pick from the fourth worst record. So they did jump up a little bit. The Rockets had the worst record and got the third overall pick. So the only, and the only team that, that uh, lost out in a way was Detroit. They had the third worst record, but fell back to fifth because Sacramento jumped from seven to four. This lottery in particular this year still ended up awarding the teams that were presumably tanking. I think everybody agrees the Thunder were tanking. The magic is always a fine line between whether they're tanking or just can't get their shit together. Um, the Rockets, ever since Harden and Westbrook forced their way out, have been kind of in a, a you know, a, 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 you know, I would say passive tanking almost because they didn't choose for those guys to leave. They're picking up the pieces. But I don't, you know, the odds are the odds. The ping pong ball is going to fall the way they fall. But I don't know that the flatter odds are proving to actually be an anti-tanking measure based on, you know, four years of results or certainly this year's results. Any buzz from the executives uh, out, out there in Chicago? Yeah, no, I mean, I think, look, I think like, I don't think it's going to discourage tanking, but it does make it harder to tank and just like know that you're going to get number one. Like, obviously it was imperfect, but I think, you know, I think some people are always grumbling. Some people are like, whatever. Some people hate the lottery completely. <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm sure you've heard these different opinions too, uh, yeah. as far as you know the the, the, the randomness of it. Um, but I but I do think that I, I think it's just better at least that you know from a team further down, and, and also you know not just jumping top three, but now jumping top four, right? I think that was the other thing that they did. Yeah, if I'm correct, right? Like being yeah. able to jump, high, you know, expanding those positions that you can get to. Uh, I think it it just creates a little bit more parity, um, and it also like I think from the perspective of like the shame 
most tanking one. We did see Portland and Indiana both lose like 10 or 11 games each to end the season. But like, so that's not going anywhere. Um, but I do think that it like, in, to some degree, makes it more difficult to, you know, go for a certain spot. And then if you're splitting hairs, like, it doesn't really matter if you're seventh or eighth, like, not that much. Like, you know, I haven't heard anybody, you know, grumbling too much about the way that it's done. Uh, so I'm okay with it. Like, just from my perspective, I think it is a little bit more fair. Uh, I like the, you know, idea that it's a little bit more random. Um, but I also think that it's going to be really interesting. Um, the other kind of thing sort of pertaining to the tanking, it's, not, it's definitely not going to stop because the, the buzz about next year is kind of already going around too with uh, Victor Wembanyama, who, you know, unless he is injured or something crazy were to happen in the next 12 months, like is going to be the number one pick next year. Um, presuming he's healthy and, uh, you know, the teams that are bad right now are going to probably be cool being bad one more year just to make sure they have a chance to get him. Right. So like, yeah. <laughs> that's probably the other thing that, um, you know, once, once he's off, you know, in the NBA, then we'll, we'll see if there's anyone really worth taking for, but I think he's also probably like the, the shady, like shadowy figure in the background, like hanging over everybody being bad. It's like, a, everyone knows this guy's coming to. Yeah. Uh, no, he's from everything I hear about him and, and from the, you know, brief YouTube clips I've seen of, of, of Webanyama, uh, he's going to inspire a whole new round of tanking. Like where it's going to be like 2014 all over again, or 2013, whenever we started the, the, the true tanking era, the, the process era Sixers or whatever. And, and when, when teams were all, uh, chasing, um, like it's going to be like that again, right? Like it's, it's, and it doesn't matter that the lottery odds are flatter. It's <laughs> the teams that are bad are still going to want to be as bad as possible. Even if it's only 14% chance of winning, um, they're still going to do it. So I don't, I don't know that we yeah. fixed anything. Maybe it's a little bit better than it was a few years ago, but, um, I'm not sure that the, the new lottery odds fixed anything. I think the, in, the, the, um, the play in tournament and people chasing ninth and 10th late in the season has actually done more to discourage at least that version of tanking, late season tanking, the pull the plug type stuff that you were talking about with Indy and Portland, than, uh, than teams that just go into a season knowing they're bad and are in fact absolutely playing to be one of the three worst so that they can get the best odds. But we'll yeah, see. Yeah, no, I think the only way to really get rid of tanking would be to have relegation. Uh, <laughs> but I don't think we're getting that. I don't or, think we're getting the port. Yeah, the four-way mad ants are not coming to the Central Division anytime soon. No, as fun as that would be. I, I mean, my, I still love Mike Zarin's wheel, but nobody else aside from Mike Zarin and me like the wheel. <laughs> so um, people can go Google Mike Zarin's wheel if you want to know what that is. <laughs> this is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is... And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. 
Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. All right, so uh, this draft class... uh, always various opinions out there in assessing these guys, but give me your, your assessment, Jeremy, of just the depth of this draft class. And when I say depth, I mean like franchise changers, not necessarily like superstars, but just like basically how many teams walked away happy with their position on Tuesday? How deep does the talent go? That's actually like, okay, we will be really happy on draft night that we got this guy. Yeah, for sure. Um, You know, after kind of digging into this for a while, uh, I think, I think there are probably like, I'd say for me, 10 or 11, maybe 10, 10 is probably the safe way to say. There are probably 10 players who I think are like very good prospects and in any draft would be considered, you know, lottery level, you know, to varying degrees. Um, and people would be happy to walk away with. Like, I think, you know, I talked to some of the teams that were kind of um, in that position, sort of like back part of the lottery. And they're like, yeah, you know, we're happy. Like, Hey, you know, if we stay here, we still feel like we're going to get a stud. Like we're not so worried about it. You know, if we uh, jumped up to the top four, it actually creates more, uh, you know, problems in some ways. Like maybe you don't love two, three, four. And, you, you know, if you were to go from like 10 or nine, whatever, to two, three, four, and you don't love any of those guys, um, you know, then it creates the, you know, some a more difficult decision to make. Whereas if you're sitting there and you just know someone is going to fall out of that group, you know, eight, nine, ten, it's probably cool, right? So, like, it's kind of an interesting way to think about it. Um, obviously, you want the better prospects, but 
in terms of just like the optics of like having to make a tough call or having to like, you know, have a more expensive rookie that you don't necessarily believe in, you know, like these types of things are very like situational. Um, so, you know, I do think there are probably 10 guys that I feel really good about. Um, so that would be my answer to that. Um, and you know, Jabari Smith has been my number one guy. I think, you know, I think he's a guy who would be a number one pick contender in most drafts. I don't know if I would say that about anyone else in this draft, uh, including the other guys who are contenders for the number one picks. So uh, that's my opinion, but uh, I just, I think he, you know, has something special, you know, with, with the way that he shoots it at his size and, uh, you know, being able to guard all over the floor uh, and, and just being a really special prospect just from like a pure, like love of the game standpoint. Like it's, he's a very, very like, you know, I did a story on him for our site um, early in the season and he's just like a very like pure spirit, like loves basketball. And I, I like that about him. So that it's, it's funny because it's, it's one of those things where you don't, um, I don't, I don't know if fans often understand, like there's a difference in when you're um, any of these prospects coming in, there's all the basic requisite skills that everybody's being assessed on and that we obsess about and people's athleticism and their natural gifts and everything else. The love of the game thing probably isn't talked about enough. And it is such a defining thing about in the NBA who actually has great careers, even if their ceiling is lower based on you know physical tools or whatever else. Like It's interesting to hear when it, when a guy's like one of his defining traits is actually loving basketball because it's kind of important at, at the end of the day. And a lot of guys, <laughs> I, I, you hate to say it, but there's a certain percentage of NBA players who are there be just because they can be because they have uh, the requisites, uh, talent, skills. They like the money. They like the lifestyle. They don't necessarily love the game. And um, sometimes you don't, you can't tell until deeper into their career. But at something teams, I think are, are you know have to be tuned into. Um, so it's interesting that that is one of the things that makes Jabari Smith stand out. But I want to ask you about how he kind of becomes this. I feel like consensus number one now in a draft where I kept hearing there was no clear number one. There was a lot of Chet Holmgren fascination earlier in the year and a sense that he was the definite number one. Then I heard Bancaro a lot and I'm hearing this, you know, I'm, I'm the outsider to this process, right? Like I am not a draft expert and I'm not a, a, a obsessive draft watcher. I'm too consumed with the NBA, but as I'm checking in and out of these discussions over the course of the season, it really felt like it was Holmgren for a, quite a while. And then for a while, maybe even uh, Bancaro and Smith was, was somewhere in the discussion, but um, I, I did a quick glance around all of the mock drafts coming out of the lottery the other night You've got Jabari Smith, Chad Ford, Jabari Smith, Jonathan Gavoni, Jabari Smith, Jay Billis, Jabari Smith, Eddie Katz, Jabari Smith, Sam Vecini, Jabari Smith. Um, so almost every major site that has a, a draft expert um, has all come to the same conclusion. Although Kevin O'Connor, KOC over at the ringer has got Ben Carroll at number one. Uh, and I saw Ricky O'Donnell at SB Nation has Ben Carroll at number one. When did Jabari Smith, if, if I'm even framing this right, when did Jabari Smith kind of uh, push his way past Holmgren and Bancaro for you and, and, and seemingly for a consensus of, of draft watchers out there. Yeah, sure. So like, this is kind of the short story uh, for me, you know, I came into the season with Bancaro at number one. Um, then uh, basically I had not seen Jabari play in high school in person. Um, I knew about him. Uh, I had heard different things from scouts who had, you know, went gone to the Auburn pro day or whatever, like this guy's going to be a top pick, but we don't know like where, you know, he might not, we don't know what he's going to average. Like, it's hard to say because he's so young, right? So, like, I think that's a factor. And also him being young is a big, you know, factor. You know, he's, I think, six months or so younger than Bencaro, and he's a whole, literally a whole year younger than Holmgren. Like, they're both May birthdays in different years. 
<laughs> to me, that's pretty significant. Um, but uh, I, you know, I was watching several Auburn games in November because it became obvious that he was very interesting. And then I was like, oh god, like I need to <laughs> speed this up and go see him. You know, I've been planning to go and uh, down there in January. I was like, I got to do it faster. So I changed my entire schedule around to go to Atlanta to watch him play. Uh, Auburn was playing in the some they played in Nebraska, I believe. And so I went to that game and I'm, I'm there and I'm watching him shoot around like just by, you know, before the game warming up for 10 minutes, I'm like, all right, this is probably the number one pick. Like there are just not guys that size who shoot it as easily as he does. And as consistently as he does. And it just comes out of his hand. So it's like mesmerizing to watch the way that he shoots it. Uh, and you know, then you see the rest of the stuff he does. He's so polished in some ways, but also so raw in other ways. Uh, to me, that's exciting. Um, that's sort of like how I'd put it. Like, yes, you know, you can get better as a ball handler, but like, anyway, I, I think like back to your question. So, Immediately after seeing him, then I played number one on our site. And uh, I don't mean this in a way like pat myself on the back, but like I don't think the other sites, I do like keep an eye on that sometimes. I don't think anyone else really changed heavily until like just now. Um, there was like gradual changing. Of, I don't really know. Uh, I don't mean that in a way where it's like trying to sound like competitive. I don't really <laughs> care, but like. Um, no, but it's, it's, think, it's sometimes it does evolve, right? Like the consensus yeah, kind of evolves yeah. over the course of, of weeks and months. Right. But, but I will say that like, based on what I was hearing from, you know, the people who I trust most in terms of like guys who evaluate talent around the NBA, you know, in varying roles, um, you know, there's just a lot, just very, very, a lot of strongly Jabari talk in December. Um, so that, that was where I landed then. And I, I never really like changed it. Um, the only reason, and I guess, we'll, you know, this can get us into talking about Thunder, but like, the only thing that I thought might not take him number one, or at least I'd have to think about what would it do is okay too, because they're just so hard to read. Right. Um, again, Orlando may not take him number one, but that is kind of where we all landed. So I think that probably took something too. What do you think of, of uh, you know, we immediately start uh, obsessing over things like fit, which um, is, I think, feel like very rarely relevant for teams at the top of the, of the draft anyway, because they, they mostly just need talent period. But um, if the magic do take Jabari Smith, what, do you see how, what do you see him being on day one for them? And to the extent that they don't really ha- like, they've got some interesting young talent, but they don't have a franchise star. There's nobody really. I, I always say, like in the NBA, until you have somebody to build around who makes everybody else make sense, who makes your role players actually look better than they are, like you're nowhere until you've got that guy. So a collection of interesting young guys is very rarely a path to anything. Um, what would he do in terms of making the rest of their roster make sense and actually start to raise their floor? Sure. Yeah. So I, I think like, if you look at, you know, Orlando is an interesting case because they, they do have a lot of young guys and traditionally they have been okay to like, they draft a lot of guys and just kind of be patient and kind of see how it filters out. Like they're not a team that like frantically trades talent really. Like they're not going to just bail on a guy. Um, although I do think, you know, in some cases that has backfired. You know, if you look at, you know, when they took uh, Mobamba, but he was kind of stuck behind Vucevic and he didn't really pan out and there was no way to know what he was going to be because he wasn't getting enough minutes and we didn't know, you know, and you know, now he's they're starting to come around a little bit as he hits his free agency. Right. So like that timeline is interesting. Uh, but, and anyway, um, you know, with Jabari, I think if you look at the guys that they do have, uh, what they don't have is like shooting, like elite shooters on that roster. Um, and he is that, I think he will be, you know, I don't know if he shoots 40% on day one, you know, from three, but like, he'll probably get there, honestly, like, or close to it. Like he'll be a very, very high potential one shooter, I think in time. Um, uh, and if you look at, you know, what's on the team, you know, you got Wagner and you have, uh, you know, Suggs who I think, you know, everyone is hoping we'll see a little bit more out of him if he's healthy and he can kind of uh, improve next season. Um, 
And then, you know, there's also rumblings that they'll eventually move on from Jonathan Isaac just because he's never healthy. And, uh, you know, they gave him a new deal, but like, I don't know how long he'll be there. Uh, you know, they can find some, some, I don't know what they do with him. Um, but I don't think the duplication of having him and Jabari would be an issue if they make that pick. Um, so I think he just, he makes them a much more versatile defensive team from day one. Uh, I think in the early part of his career, I think you'll see him use sort of like pick and pop type stuff, like get him easy touches, try to get him open jumpers. Cause he's going to make those at a high clip pretty much right away. I think as long as he's, you know, that he's open uh, the tough ones he can make, it's going to take him a little bit more time to like, you know, make those at a high clip. Uh, he's going to have to continue to, you know, learn to expand his game off the dribble in terms of separating, but his shots just so hard to block. I just think like the margin for error for him is probably higher than most players in terms of like, how much separation do I need to get? Like how complicated does my game need to be for me to score? Uh, you know, can he get to the rim more? Sure. Um, but I think they can kind of play him all over the floor. Uh, they don't have to necessarily make him shoot 20 times a game right away. Um, and, you know, he'll just, I think he'll make them better on both sides and he'll space and, you know, you let him kind of grow into, uh, you know, I'm sure they will, they will have him take some tough shots uh, and sort of grow into those shots. Um, you know, but the hope is probably by year two, year three, and particularly because he can fill out a lot physically. Like he's just, he's, you know, he just turned 19. You look at his body, he's big, but he like has a lot more room to get stronger. Uh, and I think, you know, he's a guy who I think you'll probably see like take off like year two, year three, maybe not a rookie of the year. Um, but again, you're drafting for the long run. So, yeah. Um, That's my the, thought, yeah. yeah. So, uh, number two pick is going to be the thunder. You've already made mention of this a couple of times that nobody ever knows what the thunder is going to do. No one knows what Sam Presti's thinking. Sam's still sitting on a uh, absurd pile of, of future draft picks. And you wonder, you know, if they go, whether it's for Chet Holmgren or Bancaro or whatever they may do there, uh, are, are they are they really playing for the present or the future? Are, are are they still just biding time, waiting to make some massive trade involving a bunch of their picks and some of their players? But then again, you've got Shea Gilgis Alexander sitting there, who at some point might not want to you know keep playing this same game. Presti was quoted a couple months ago. I'm trying to remember when it was. No, I think it was actually. It might have been his um his exit interview after the the uh, after the season where he sat for like two hours with local media uh much credit for doing so and i think said something to the effect of depending on how the season goes that they you know they might be in the same place next season like i think he was alluding to the idea that like if if they don't get if they can't quite figure it out they're perfectly content to like have another year of of pseudo tanking outright tanking whatever it is like they don't mind playing it out another year and uh with with victor women on the on the board next year uh maybe maybe that's the better long play but again you do have a a guy who could be a perennial all-star maybe if you were with a winning team in in shea gilgis alexander and so i i wonder what their urgency is uh, and based on that i wonder what does that do for uh or how does that influence the the guy that they might pick at, at two and does it influence how much does it influence whether that pick is actually just in play you know, is it is it time for the Thunder to finally you know make that that uh, move for to win in the present? Um, the number two pick seems like it could be pretty valuable. Uh, what do you think of whether their best play is is Holmgren and this continued slow build, and 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 what your thoughts are on, on how long it'll be before Holmgren is really an impactful NBA player? Um, and the quandary I feel like the quandary that now faces the Thunder about present versus future. 
Yeah. Um, well, you know, I, I would fully expect them to be bad again, just because I'm they're They're the team that I'm already hearing like most connected as far as like really want to Wembenyama. Uh, obviously that's like a year away. Um, but it just, again, it's just something about how good he is that we're talking about him just as much as any player in this draft already. But, um, you know, I do think that's probably on their mind. Uh, you know, I think it's an interesting question to ask, like, does how you draft this year impact, uh, you, or is it impacted by the possibility of getting that guy next year? I don't think you can bank on it ever. Uh, but you have to keep in mind that if Thunder really want him, you know, say they wind up like fourth, they can still be like, hey, team that just won, like, we'll give you all 12 of these first round picks and this number four pick. And I mean, for maybe not Shay, but, you know, you can, well, they can give, you know, basically make the most attractive offer ever in terms of draft picks because they have so many draft picks. Uh, so if they want to do that and they think that's the guy they can try, they still might hear a no, which is how good the guy is. But, <laughs> you know, I think that's probably the nuclear option um, if they don't, you know, <laughs> wind up where they want. So, like, uh, you know, with, with regard to this pick, you know, I'm sure they'll make it. It's just a matter of, I think, how much do you believe in, in Holmgren? Um, I think, you know, there's two ways of looking at it. Like, on one hand, you know, they are the most patient team. They can take the most risks. Uh, they can give Holmgren the most time and, like, developmental space to, you know, see what he can become and kind of stretch it. Uh, on the flip side, you know, they kind of tried that with Pogoshevsky, who is not as good a player as Chet, but, you know, it's kind of, there are definitely differing opinions as to what he will be. Uh, he's still very young, um, but another weird player. Like, they're not afraid to do that. But, uh, you know, they have so much emphasis in, like, size on the perimeter. Um, and I think Ben Caro is probably – everybody would probably agree that you can more confidently say that Ben Caro is going to be able to play on the perimeter. Uh, and Chet, you know, because he's a little bit slow-footed, like, he's super skilled, but it's just, like, I don't think he's going to, like, you know, take guys off the dribble and, you know, shoot – pull up jumpers and those types of things. Like, I just don't know that he'll do that. I think his application practically is more like a Porzingis uh, where, you know, you're, he's heading the train. He can pick and pop. You're hoping that he'll make some decisions uh, as a passer uh, and can be that kind of like, you know, great defensive player who also gives you a variety of looks on offense. Um, but, uh, you know, I also wonder if Ben Caro and also his, you know, his, the immediate production he's going to get. Um, and I, I also wonder if, you know, I kind of go back and forth on this, but some of the concerns about Ben Caro's defense, like, is that overblown? Like, you know, he, he guards okay. He's just not going to be a rim protector, mm-hmm. right? Um, but I think you can argue that both ways for them at number two, uh, if, if we assume Smith is gone. Um, so, yeah, I, mean, I think they're definitely going to be a fascinating team. And, I, you know, I, I, I put Chet there in the first mock, but, like, 10 minutes later, I was like, is that really what they're going to do? I, I honestly, <laughs> I'm still sort of trying to decide myself, like, what I think will happen uh, in that case. How big a risk do you think Holmgren is? I mean, I know we get this, we, we go round and round in these things with these discussions about like, you know, all right, there's the always the, the obvious you can't teach size and then you can't teach size with skill attached to it and rim protection and, and, and all these things that we know are very valuable. And at the same time, well, he's skinny. Okay, yeah, but he could grow into it. Well, not everybody does grow into it. Not everybody does pack on the extra muscle. Not everyone's bodies are built to do that. Um, and mm-hmm. we have a long history in the draft of, you know, teams getting, you know, getting obsessed with size early on uh, in, in the draft process or, or just feeling like I cannot pass this guy up because the value of a seven footer with either rim protection or perimeter skills or some combination thereof in the modern era, it, you know, it, it's, it's, it's an allure that's almost impossible to, to pass up, but we've got a long history of, you know, the Darko Milicic's and, and others. Um, and, and it's not, you know, 
I, I get it. Holmgren will grow into his body. I get it. He's young. I, I understand all that. But man, at a glance, you look at him and, and it, it does feel like there's some risk involved here. How much risk do you think there is? Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I, I think I've been lower on him than the general consensus all season. Um, and I, I, I've, I've seen all the top guys play multiple times. I saw Chet play twice, which is a little bit less than the other top guys, but you know, I've seen them all play a lot, so I'm very familiar. And I just think, like, um, the first thing is that, you know, some people get mad online when you're like, oh, he's skinny. But it's like, it, when, I don't think that's a reductive thing. It's like you have to talk about that because the way that I've put it is it's just, you know, it's his body type is, like, not only part of why he might fail, but also part of why he's so good, right? So it's like you can't really take it out of how you talk about him because – uh, you know, his length and his mobility is a plus, uh, but then it's like, A, how much weight can he put on? B, do you want him to put on that much weight? Because if he loses his mobility, does that really reduce his chances of being impactful on defense, right? Because like right now we hope that he can switch a little bit and, you know, give you some type of de- defensive scheme versatility. Uh, but if he can't switch, uh, if he's not quite quick-footed enough to like switch on to everybody uh, or at least situationally, um, and you're kind of having him drop back towards the rim and play a more conservative style. Well, he's not like, again, he's big, but guys know that if you get into his body, you can bump him back, right? It's not like you're driving at Rudy Gobert and you're like, oh shit, like, what do I do? This guy's like suddenly right here and he's enormous. Like, it's not that type of body, right? Um, so I think there's probably a different opinion, you know, in terms of how good you think he'll be defensively, right? So, like, I think there is some risk in that if he's not like a totally monstrous interior defender, like, you might have to play him more like how the Bucks play Giannis, where he kind of roves around on the weak side and, you know, you guys can't see him. And then he comes and gets the ball because he has great timing. Like, I don't think he's going to be bad. Like, I don't, I don't think he's necessarily a bust. But the other thing, and this is not a chat specific issue, but I, you know, I've been talking to teams about this too, is it's, you know, all mobile seven footers come with injury risk just because of, you know, the stress that you're putting on your body. And, you know, Chet is, you know, to his credit, you know, plays more physically than you'd think. Uh, he's not afraid to like try to mix it up, but like, He's not going to win a lot of those battles in the NBA. It's just he's not uh, if he's 190 pounds, right? He's going to take hits, and you know again he's fairly light in his feet. But it's something you have to think about where you know these guys not durable. Um, and again, and again, he's been healthy to this point, but he also hasn't played the type of schedule that you know he's going to play ever. Um, so these are all factors. Uh, I do think there's risk. I think the most likely outcome is that he's not nothing. Um, like I think he's you know should be a starting caliber player who's like a plus, and I. Yeah, I don't doubt Chet, like, as a guy. Like, you know, I think he's got enough, you know, metal uh, to him. And I do think he cares about basketball and he cares about being good. And I, everything about him is, you know, I haven't heard any issues on that front. Uh, but in a lot of games this year, too, where he got hit, uh, but, you know, by better teams and they were really physical with him, uh, he kind of, like, went away offensively a little bit. And he couldn't really, like, impose himself on the game. So, like, these are all factors. Um, and I think there's a chance that he's, you know, good but not great. Um, and you know, when you look at the upside of guys like Jabari Smith, uh, who already has, like, you know, the incredible shooting tool or, you know, Ben Kara, who is really, really skilled for a guy with that type of, like, build. Uh, he's kind of like a husky or strong guy. And then, you know, Jaden Ivey, who's incredibly fast and also, you know, in some ways unpolished, but, you know, has the upside to be very, very difficult to corral in, in space. Um, you know, I, I think you can argue his upside uh, maybe isn't, you know, higher than those guys. It just depends on how you how confident you feel and everything translating. And that's why it's such a tough discussion. Yeah. Which means that obviously, you know, a lot of there's, there's 
probably going to be some fluidity at the top of the, of the board here. Um, but at the moment, your your mock you have Bancaro at uh, the third overall pick uh, after Holmgren and Smith. So Bancaro to the Rockets. Assuming that it falls this way, um, what do you think of of Bancaro with Jalen Green? Um, and and what are you know essentially you know what what are the what does it do for the Rockets trajectory? Yeah, definitely. Um, right, right now, like I'd be totally shocked if he made it past Houston. Um, I, I just, you know, I've heard enough chatter like, hey, Orlando should take Bancaro, or hey, uh, OKC should take Bancaro. Like, I think there's still definitely strong support for him. Like, people feel strongly that he's going to be impactful. Uh, I do think he would be a nice fit in Houston, um, just because obviously they have need for like interior help. Um, you know, Shingun is interesting, but like, I don't think he precludes you from taking Paolo, even if they're not a perfect fit. Like. Um, you know, having a guy like him who can kind of be an interior playmaker, you know, he's, I think, a really good passer, uh, which I think people know that, but maybe it hasn't been emphasized enough. Like, the passing is a huge part of his upside. Um, uh, and, you know, he, he sometimes can be a little bit, like, touch dominant, but he plays team basketball. Uh, and so I think having a guy like that to play with Green, who also kind of wants the ball in his hands, but is kind of learning to play without it, uh, and just another guy who teams have to account for might have to double and like just creates a little bit more space uh, in different parts of the floor where they're not going to like, uh, you know, occupy each other's preferred spots. I think that it makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, if Green ever learns to you know, really play pick and roll, you know, I think Ben Carroll would be a pretty good partner for him. And the interesting thing about Ben Carroll too is, you know, he can be a ball handler in the pick and roll. He's skilled enough to do that. So, you know, having a guy like that kind of opens up a lot of different things a creative coach can do um, just because he's huge and very skilled. So, uh, you know, I think he'd fit with Jalen. Uh, I'd rather fit him with Jalen than like a Jaden Ivy, who I think also really needs the ball to like become his best self. I think there's a way to like balance the touches when you have a big and a guard um, who are both very, um, you know, potent scorers your teams have to account for. So I'd like to fit there in Houston if he gets there, if he gets there, but I'm not sure he'll be there at three. He might go at two. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret, like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. 
Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Uh, Let's get through a few more here before I let you go so you can take your uh, long commute over to to the Combine. Um, The Sacramento Kings, poor Kings. Uh, So the Kings end up at fourth overall. Um, you've got them taking Shaden Sharp of Kentucky. You, you, uh, mentioned him a little bit earlier, uh, but also there's maybe a little bit of a quandary here, um, just in terms of, of fit with De'Aaron Fox. I'm not, not a quandary, but just, you know, are you, are they seem to clearly be building around De'Aaron Fox now having traded Tyrese Halliburton, a trade that everybody across the league, I think is still shocked and baffled by, um, they are now about Fox and, Sabonis, and I, I guess now everything should fit with them. If you're if you're looking at this as a, at this as a fit issue, which I think they are. Like I don't think the Kings are in that mode of like just take best available. I feel like what they're doing when you make a move for Sabonis, they're in this kind of win now, find a way to maximize De'Aaron Fox um, mode. And I wonder, does that you know whether they're whether they're using the pick and taking maybe Shaden Sharp as you suggest in your mock? or whether they're going a different direction, I wonder if they're going to trade it, Jeremy. Like, I wonder if the Kings, they, they clearly, clearly, they've, they've now have the all-time record for, you know, whatever, 15, 16 years now without making the playoffs. There's clearly pressure. If, if, if there weren't that pressure, I don't think they make the Halliburton for Sabonis deal. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, let's, let's entertain that notion just for a minute. If they were going to trade the fourth overall pick, how valuable do you think it is? Uh, and, you know, yeah, if they keep it, are they are they getting immediate help? Because I feel like that is what the Kings want right now. Yeah, um, Sacramento is definitely, I think, the most interesting team uh, or one of the most interesting teams to monitor. I think everybody's curious uh, because, like you said, there are a lot of different dynamics going into that. Um, you know, I think it's clear that there is some directive from ownership. Like, hey, guys, like, if we make the playoffs, like, it's been a long time. You know, we know that Vivek is competitive. We know that he... You know, sometimes medals uh, and will have unorthodox things that they do as a result. But, um, you know, I put Sharp there kind of as a placeholder. I don't know exactly what they'll do. Uh, but I, I also think that they've proven that, like you said, their concern, there's some level of concern about avoiding the duplication. You know, to trade Halliburton, obviously they felt like Fox was the guy, you know, whether that's because they love him or because they couldn't trade him. I think it's, you know, probably a few different things are here on that. Like, uh, but I think they know that they're kind of, Fox and Simonis are going to be 
what they have to work with now. So, uh, you know, I think I would think that probably precludes them from taking Jaden Ivy. Like he doesn't really fit them. He won't be able to become his best self with Fox there, frankly. So, uh, yeah. I mean, also knowing that, you know, if he's on the board or that, you know, Bancaro or Holmgren, the odds of some team further down in the top 10 saying, Hey, maybe we can come up and get, we love one of those guys. Uh, you know, someone, there, there definitely will be interest in that pick. Also, because I think, you know, Detroit makes a lot of sense for Ivy. I, I would be surprised if he made it past five. Uh, so kind of knowing the stakes already of what will be there. Um, I think, yeah, the, I, I expect them to take a lot of calls and explore the, that stuff. Um, the other player who I'd watch at number four is Keegan Murray uh, from Iowa, uh, who would be more of a win now pick. He's older. Uh, you know, he's turns 22 later this year, but was also a late bloomer. And I think he has more upside than your typical, you know, older college prospect. Like, I don't think there's a risk of it turning into an Obi Toppin. Uh, situation sorry Nick. uh but uh yeah so, so th- that's what i'd watch like if they keep the pick like they could take murray they could take sharp who i think would have the upside that's also very risky in some ways and again also a little bit ways away like if you take him it's not gonna get you closer to the playoffs right so i think the question is you know what which of those dynamics kind of wins out for that pick and um definitely something that will be unresolved for uh, some time i think uh, all right, let's drop down a little bit. The Blazers at seventh. The Blazers, man. So, rough season. They're worst in a very, very long time. Certainly the worst since Dame got there. Dame had the injury. He's presumably recovering or recovered. He was on the dais for the lottery, which was interesting because that would seem to suggest that Dame does not intend to demand a trade. I know uh, he shames us for even suggesting it, but um, this is a, a logical uh, discussion these days with where they are. They traded CJ McCollum. They, you know, there's not, you know, Simons is emerging, but like, where I don't know where the Blazers are right now. I don't know what they're, you know, um, what to expect from them next season. And, you know, Lillard's patience could run out at some point. Um, is there anybody that Dame should be excited about them getting at the seventh spot? Is the talent at seven good enough to make a trade for veteran help? Um you know, I feel like those are the two relevant questions. Either, either you're getting help for Dame immediately with the pick or you're getting tra- help for Dame immediately by trading the pick because if it's not one of those two things, I don't know what you are next season, in which case I have to wonder again about whether Dame himself is going. So what what does the seventh pick do for them, Jeremy? Yeah, we're, we're on the same page here. Like Portland was one of the teams that I <laughs> I really didn't know what to make of. And I was like, I hope they don't win lottery because I don't know what I'm going you know, to say about them if they <laughs> if they do. Like that would have been a weird, really weird situation just because like they are kind of stuck in between two phases where it seems like Dame wants to be there and he kind of has them by the balls where it's like until he says he wants out, like they can't really you know rebuild. Although I think trading CJ obviously is like a hint, like, hey, maybe we know that it's money to happen. But um yeah, I would expect, you know, there was chatter some time ago that they were going to try to do something with the picks. And then they thought, you know, they thought they were going to have two lottery picks uh, until New Orleans made the playoff. Uh, so then that pick went to Charlotte, the 15th pick, and Portland was up with one. Um, so, you know, I, I do think that that pick can get you something um, because it's in that tier of players where, you know, you'll get someone you feel good about, you know, whether it's, you know, Benedict Matherin, Dyson Daniels, Johnny Davis. Um, those are, you know, three guys who I think will go in that range. Uh, I really like Jeremy Sohan. Um, you know, those are probably the four players who I, I'm interested in in that range of the draft. So, you know, knowing that you can pick from among those guys, uh, you know, potentially maybe someone falls you don't expect. Um, you know, I, I would think that there will be some type of market for that pick. Uh, I don't know exactly what they'd go get, but uh, I do think that they're in a tough position having to straddle like 
know, Dame wanting to win now. And again, knowing that even if you try as hard as you can to win now, you're probably not building a contender around him in a year. Uh, also hoping that he's healthy, right? And it's like the risk of going all in for Portland is that, you know, it doesn't work out and you're a 500 team at the deadline. It's like, gosh, oh, like, should we trade him now and just deal with it like arguably should have done it a year ago? Uh, but he does seem to have so much power uh, over what happens that it's hard for me to see them just going like fully young, right? So like Keegan Murray would have been a good fit there, but I don't think he's going to be there at seven. So it's tough. I also just don't, no matter what they do, Jeremy, I don't know how the Blazers rebound that quickly in a Western conference mm-hmm. where, you know, this wasn't like the, the toughest year for the West, but a lot of that had to do with injuries and everything. So Denver gets healthy, presumably. The Clippers get healthy, presumably. The Lakers maybe figure out at least they can't be worse than they were, I don't right. think. Um, a healthy LeBron and Anthony Davis and whatever they do with Westbrook. Like, it's not getting any easier. I don't, I'm don't. i not even sure I can see a path for the Blazers back to the playoffs, maybe not even the play-in. Um, and that's with all due respect to Dame, who's amazing. But like, I just, they're in a really weird spot and, and the, the West is definitely going to be tougher next season. Uh, let's finish off with uh, the Knicks. They don't move up. They, they never move up. Um, poor Knicks fans, uh, you know, waiting for that one miracle. So they're sitting there at 11th. Their, their record of drafting in the lottery is eh. Um, and... You know, I I I just wonder. So you said this this draft class, you saw it as as deep as maybe ten or eleven players. So it seems like they are right on the edge of whether you're getting an impactful player. What's their hope at eleven? You think? Yeah, um, you know, I think they'd probably like it if you know one of those guards kind of like fell out of the top ten. Um, realistically, if that if that doesn't happen, I think they have to at least think about. You know, I don't know what happens with Mitchell Robinson in terms of if they re-up him or not. Uh, but is it worth you know taking a guy like Jalen Duran from Memphis or Mark Williams from Duke and just get younger up front and like add a piece uh, you know a center uh, to develop? Um, you know the Knicks are kind of stuck in the middle where they had the sort of misfortune of being kind of good a year ago and then everybody thought they had to be good now and then clearly they're not going to be. Um, you know what happens with Julius Randle? We don't know. Um, so you know the, they're another one of those teams where. You, it's so hard to operate out of that middle uh, where it's like, yeah, we could try to make the playoffs, but like, are we really going to do it? Um, but yeah, I mean, I, those, the two bigs uh, or one of those bigs is kind of what I'm looking at. I mean, maybe AJ Griffin falls there who some people are excited about. I am less excited about as a prospect, um, but you know, he's a really good shooter at his age with, uh, you know, some upside if he kind of gets some of his athleticism back, you know, he's been injured a little bit. Um, so like, you know, there will be names there that will be, you know, picks that you can spend in a fan base uh, and they should be like, okay with, um, maybe the next team. Hey, maybe they maybe they're a team that wants to trade up Portland to seven and get a better player. Like I don't know. Um, but they're a team that will probably need to get creative if they want to, you know, make a leap towards the playoffs next year. So this pick will at least, you know, it could be currency to do that. So we'll see. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, great stuff, Jeremy. Um, I know you need to get over to the combine, back over to the gym. Uh, you can everybody find his. Latest mock draft on SI.com and all coverage between now and the draft over the next couple of months. Always great stuff. Jeremy, thanks for uh, the insights. Appreciate it. Uh, enjoy your walk. <laughs> I will. I will. It's uh, nice, nice weather today. It was raining the other day. So <laughs> I'll take it. Thanks, Howard. Excellent. All right. Take care. Okay, that's it for today's show. My thanks again to Jeremy Wu. Thank you to our producer, Shelby Royston. Thank you all for listening. Remember, you can hear Chris Mannix and me every Tuesday on The Crossover with all the latest NBA chatter. And then on Fridays, it's me and a guest. 
Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to The Crossover wherever you get your podcasts. And hit me with all your feedback on Twitter at Howard Beck. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, And I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.